to help us transition over this next month, uh, I described this transition as the turning of an historic page in the life of our church. We have three Sundays left here in Teaneck before we move and put our stake in the ground in Glenrock, New Jersey. Uh, you can see this picture. It's actually a little dated already because the FSI sign came down this week. The Grace Redeemer Church sign went up. There's a sign in the yard that points people uh, to uh, who, who in the world has been doing all this work in this empty office building over the last uh, few months. But um, even as this flurry of activity continues... Some of you packed my office this week, um, and in a couple of days I wasn't uh, in and working from home. Others of you moved boxes and furniture and continued painting yesterday, and our um, tech team was there until past midnight last night getting the technical network infrastructure stuff all established for our staff to move in this week, for ministry, every single space in, in the facility, and eventually to... Um, pave the way for worship to happen in the new sanctuary, even as all of that needs to continue. There is spiritual preparation of God's people that is all the more important. So last week I asked these questions. How do we properly prepare to be stewards of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? How do we stay grounded? How do we ensure that we don't lose sight of first things? things of first importance, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And the answer I offered is quite simple. We remember. We looked at Deuteronomy where Paul, uh, where the, the uh, prophet and leader Moses is uh, delivering God's revelation to the people of Israel again for the second time, Deuteronomy. Before they enter the promised land, they need to be reminded of who God is and who they are as His people. And that question of identity led us to review our core values that are all biblically rooted. This morning, I want us to remember what we've been aiming at, especially over these last four years. In the fall of 2014, we had our first ever vision campaign. We spent six weeks and months leading up to it. And then we gave another four weeks in the fall of 2016 in sort of a a re-emphasis of the same vision campaign. Given that kind of energy and attention, given the prayers and the service and the sacrificial giving, um, given all that we dreamed about what God could do through us in a new church home, it only makes sense now that it's becoming reality to circle back and connect faith with sight, connect hope with reality. So here's the new question for this morning. How can the gospel foundations we've been talking about all these years become more and more present reality rather than something we're aiming at in the future? And rather than turn us to one Bible passage, I'll be reading a few texts along the way. First thing we t we've talked about over our vision campaigns is biblical community. I hope that's a familiar phrase to you, and if it is familiar, um, Continue to chew on it so that you can share it with other people, right? Isn't that a marker of learning? If you can teach other people, uh, then you've really learned something. Before each of these campaigns started, we, we uh, had sort of a preface of three grace stories each. And it wasn't something we forced. We've been doing that uh, three-week mini-series of grace stories twice a year for the last six years. 
But it fit really well because as, as we've said, it, uh, the, the vision campaigns were titled Growing in Grace. As we've said over the years, growing in grace is really a messy kind of endeavor. It's not cleaned up. It doesn't just follow a particular prescription and uh, you snap your fingers and it happens. There's pain involved in any kind of spiritual growth, especially when the gospel reminds us that we're powerless to fix what is most wrong about ourselves at the core of our being. Sin, brokenness, uh, the, the, the shattering of fellowship between creature and creator. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this, and it's repeated in um, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Whatever you think is wisdom and strength and riches, it's not really worth boasting about. Paul adds this color in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, whatever was to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I thought was on uh, my side of the ledger, my asset, is actually a liability if it prevents me from putting all of my hope in the righteousness of Jesus, in the perfections of Jesus, in the credit that Jesus has earned on it throughout his life and in his death for me. If you boast about anything, boast in the Lord. Over the campaigns, we've... Um, also talked about this idea that John shares in his first letter. He says, we have seen life and testify to it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. That word fellowship is the English translation of the Greek word koinonia. And we've said that it means so much more than bagels and coffee, fellowship. Koinonia is a sharing in the life of God, a totally different dimension of life, which is what biblical community is all about, a transformed people, a renewed people. Koinonia also means that if you have this vertical relationship with God that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that there's a natural overflow horizontally to other people. There's no such thing as a changed, transformed life that rests in Christ and then keeps it all to him or herself. That's unnatural. That's against what God designs for biblical community to take what we each experience with God vertically and to share it with other people. Like grace stories, sharing openly about the healing that they have experienced through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That won't change with our move. That aspect that's at the core of who GRC is as a biblical community. But let me say this, because bagels and coffee can help us build deeper and richer fellowship. Our new building, as, as some of you saw for the first time yesterday in helping with the move, our new building has a, a, a spacious fellowship hall that uh, you'll see as soon as you walk in from the parking lot, you'll walk through it back to the car, and hopefully you'll stop after service instead of going right out um, and enjoy a cup of coffee and relax and chat on some seats by the windows 
and uh, walk up to the information table and inquire about ministry opportunities and grab some information packets, all without feeling like you are constantly in the way, like we do in this back hallway, you know, trying to let the strollers go by and people who need to get from there to there and, and, and vice versa, we'll be able to relax. Uh, and that first level, that ground floor kind of fellowship of bagels and coffee, when friends and new neighbors begin to visit us, hopefully they'll taste that first level fellowship and linger with us after the services, which gives us that much greater of an opportunity to point them to real and lasting fellowship with the Creator Himself through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Biblical community takes what we experience vertically from God and shares it with other people, Uh, but perhaps fellowship can become a means of outreach if we do it backwards, if we invite them to enjoy bagels and coffee with us and sit and chat, perhaps we are able to lead them to this personal relationship with God Himself. Second um, foundation that we've talked about is gospel grace and gospel healing. I uh, like to regularly talk about the gospel culture here at Grace Redeemer Church. Speaking of, uh, of, of um, I'm sorry, I'm mixing things up. Um, the gospel culture is what gives our church the spiritual vitality that we enjoy. It, it's not a technique or a strategy. It's not a program. It's not something that goes on the calendar. It's the Holy Spirit's work of, of working in and through God's people to shape us into the likeness of the Savior. Because we are the church and not the building, of course, we'll also take that with us and spread that gospel culture from 21 Harristown Road uh, to our new neighbors. What, what does this gospel culture involve? I'd put it this way. There's an attitude or there's a spiritual climate, there's a spiritual environment that exists in every worshiping community. But unfortunately, because of the universal reality of sin in our hearts, the default spiritual climate tends to be this Pharisee-like attitude. Um, And that looks like this, a, a church that even unintentionally begins to communicate, continues to communicate that church is for cleaned up people. Church is for people who have it all together. And then the church's job is to tell people outside how not so cleaned up they are and they need to get their act together before they join us here on Sunday mornings. That, that is unfortunately the default spiritual climate that our sinful hearts end up cultivating unless we push back against it constantly unless we reject that Pharisee attitude. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees who were criticizing Him for hanging out with the wrong crowd. Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And what He's not saying is, you know, I I think sinful people are better than righteous people. He's not exalting um, irreverent behavior, and He's not looking down on um, efforts to pursue moral purity. When he says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners, he's saying, I've not come to call people who think they have their act together. I've not come to call people who uh, say, yeah, Jesus, you came for this guy over here. I've come to call sinners. 
those who know themselves to be spiritually sick and in need of the healing that can only come through Jesus himself. Is that who you are? A sinner, honest in looking in the spiritual mirror and recognizing that is not who God has created me to be. But through this relationship of faith, I trust that God will make me into who I need to be. So we are intentional about pushing back against that default attitude, which is absolutely anti-gospel because it implies that we are not desperately broken and guilty and in need of a Savior. We need to push back against that default attitude that is actually an arrogant belief that we have something in us that is good enough to earn the approval of God or the arrogance of talking about God and saying, whatever, whoever he, she, it is, I don't need that. I'm fine by myself. What do those intentional efforts look like to get even more specific? I would say this, even if I weren't the guy preaching on Sunday mornings, it starts right here in this slot during the worship service when the Word of God is proclaimed every week. It's got to start here. This is family mealtime that we all share. Now, in your homes, family mealtime is probably not the culinary highlight of the week. Family mealtime doesn't usually produce wow factor night after night, but family mealtime is one of the most important times of connecting and gathering together to be nourished, is it not? In the preaching itself, we're nourished, not because of the wisdom of a man, but because the power and truth of God's Word. This is family mealtime. And in the preaching itself, we aim first to show how the Bible exalts Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's our first and foremost goal. And then only secondly, do we begin to um, talk about how we as worshipers of the King, as followers of Christ, are to properly respond to what God has revealed to us. We love because He first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. We sacrifice because the Father sacrificed the Son for sinners like us. We empty ourselves in giving and serving and praying because Jesus the Son emptied Himself through the humility of the cross. There's a primacy to what God has done. And then there's a secondary response when we talk about what we should do or what we should say. Grace stories are, of course, a a deliberate pushing back against a culture of self-confidence and self-salvation. When uh, one of us stands here and talks about um, struggles of faith or brokenness in family or patterns of sin that only God could provide healing, that pushes back against any kind of unwritten creeping in climate, spiritual climate that says, you know, well, we, we, we're pretty good. We're cleaned up. No, no, no. This is a hospital for sinners. And it's okay to, to walk in here bleeding and broken and crying out in pain. We don't promise quick fixes, but we do point to the gospel and to Jesus Himself who is at work now making all things new 
whether we see it or not, whether it satisfies our time frame or style or not. Um, so is Celebrate Recovery, a deliberate way of pushing back. We started that during our 14 vision campaign. Celebrate Recovery invites everyone to show up here on Sunday, uh, Wednesday uh, nights at 7 o'clock with your hurts, habits, or hang-ups. We all have them. We're not afraid to talk about them. And so is our growing counseling ministry where people come and, and say, I need help, which shouldn't wait for crises. And our growing counseling ministry is not a separate ministry that is for the people who are really messed up, who really need help. No, counseling is an integral part of what we call care of souls that has all kinds of components, growth groups, shepherding by lay people, by pastors, um, Counseling is integrally connected to what I'm doing right now in the preaching of God's Word. I'm speaking the healing, renewing uh, truth of God into the brokenness of our common human condition. That's what a counselor is doing, just one-on-one or one-on-two. It's the same dynamic. They're not separate. And speaking of counseling, when we move to 21 Harristown Road and you come for a counseling appointment, you will no longer have to walk into the staff office area where people might be chatting. People might wonder what you're there for. You won't have to hide out while you're waiting for your appointment in the office kitchen or in the single cubicle that is sometimes empty and sometimes not. There's a waiting room. Uh, the, the entrance to the counseling offices is, goes a separate way from the offices, and so there's a good chance you won't see anybody except the person you're coming to see. And there's room for growth. And I don't just mean by hiring additional professional staff counselors. There are a handful of Grace Redeemer members who are right now pursuing formal counseling training, not necessarily to become licensed counselors, but to participate at a deeper level with a, with a more equipped mind and heart um, on what is very typical for our approach, which is a tag team approach, to have a pastor and a counselor and a lay leader collaborating on care of souls. It's all about helping us understand the depth of our sin and pointing us to the healing gospel of Jesus Christ. A third gospel foundation is what we would call our missional emphasis. It's our outward orientation. It's, it's how we're pointing um, to reach the least and the lost. In our original vision campaign, we, we looked at a passage from 2 Kings 7. This, the context there is um, the city in Israel is, being, uh, is under siege by a foreign army and uh, people are starving in the city. Well, these lepers are shunned by their people, and so they're hanging out on the outskirts of the city, and they look and they realize that the army has abandoned all of their camps. God worked this miracle, and so they start gorging themselves because they haven't eaten. And then one of them pauses and looks at the other and says this, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, gospel. And we are keeping it to ourselves. Why? Because what you, grant, what you receive from God only naturally overflows to other people in biblical community. Next week, we will focus on everyone's 
responsibility, God-given calling to not keep this good news to ourselves. Um, Let me say this as a little preview of next week. Evangelistic invitation does not get any easier than telling your friend or your neighbor or coworker, hey, my, my church is just moving into this newly renovated, gorgeous space. Come check it out. Take advantage of this window while it's open. More on that next Sunday. But um, if food for the starving in 2 Kings 7 was good news, how much greater good news is the gospel itself? the divine announcement that Jesus has come to make all things new. Yes, to, uh, to heal the sick and yes, to feed the hungry, but also to provide spiritual release from slavery to sin through forgiveness. Sharing that wealth by loving the least and reaching the lost is a core part of our vision because it's a core part of who God calls us to be. After we move in, you've heard over the past months, if you've been around, You've heard us repeatedly comment that we will be a stone's throw away from Patterson, right across the Passaic River. Did you know that Patterson is New Jersey's third most populous city and is the second highest density city in the U.S. amongst cities with 100,000 people or more? Second most dense, large city in the U.S. after New York City. It's amazing. And, and um, I'm no historian, but um, I'm generally aware that, especially in the last half of the uh, last century, Patterson's, um, in, in, in the area around Patterson, the, the industrial, post-industrial decline led to vicious cycles of unemployment and areas of high crime and broken families. There are all kinds of opportunities to reach the least and the lost amongst our to-be new neighbors. In particular, partnering with ministries and nonprofits who have been there for a long time, who have been investing in these neighborhoods, who, who know uh, specific leaders and, and um, school districts and um, the particular needs of this or that community, we're already having some of those conversations to explore how God might be calling us to benefit the least and the lost. For the first time ever, when we move, GRC will not be going anywhere. There won't be a 10-year lease kicking the can down the road. You know, we'll figure it out when we get to that. No, our, our, our address will be permanent for generations to come. That's as far as I know. I don't see anything around the horizon. Uh, I haven't heard any uh, any other leaders speculate that we're going to be moving on to something after that. But we'll be residents in town, and our sense of permanence, along with this abundance of space, is going to enable us to welcome and love our neighbors and to provide um, education and resourcing as God is sending us on mission in a big way. The last gospel foundation comes from Jesus' final instructions in the Great Commission. The heart of it is Jesus' command to make disciples. Yes, that involves reaching the lost in evangelism and worldwide missions, but Jesus takes that idea and goes deeper. 
He didn't say, go and make converts, let them figure out the rest, they'll be fine, that's all I need from you. He said, go and make disciples. Discipleship was at the heart of Jesus' strategy to change the world. Discipleship meant Jesus inefficiently, frustratingly, slowly invested a few years of his life in, the, in a few men. That's it. But he knew that those few would exponentially share what they had received from him and cause a worldwide phenomenon to be the result. Jesus was always about people and relationships, not about program and calendar. That's what we need to be about. Not to say we don't put ministry events on the calendar, not to say that's bad, and we just chit-chat and you know, share life, but how do we invest more deeply in this biblical community that is gospel-rooted? Why? Because real spiritual growth requires deep awareness of sin, and that does not happen in the hallway nor even in a very friendly, committed growth group in which no one is willing to ask the difficult question. We need to get to the next level. What does that mean? Real growth involves living life closely enough with a few people such that they really know you. And in particular, they know the unique shape of your sin struggle. You say, I don't want that. I'm not interested in making disciples. I'm not interested in being a disciple. If you think that way, what you're actually saying is, I'm not interested in growing spiritually. I'm not interested in becoming more like Jesus. I'm fine just the way I am. I'll just sort of hide and um, coast through my Christian life. That is not biblical Christianity. There is no spiritual growth without identifying your sin, which you can't find on a, in and of yourself. You just don't look in the mirror and see it all. Other people see it pretty clearly. Real spiritual growth involves understanding that and turning away from it in repentance and trusting God to make all things new, including your own heart. It doesn't uniquely and only happen through discipleship, but um, that's what we're aiming at. That's not easy or efficient stuff, but neither is spending 18 years raising a baby into adulthood. And by the way, when we're talking about Christian family units, that raising of your children should be all about making disciples. That's the definition of Christian parenting, making disciples, not resume building your children to prepare them to get into a great college. Here's the greatest sign of even more vibrant health that God is working here at Grace Redeemer Church. Not at all that I'm doing more of this and you're amazed and you're applauding. Not at all. That, that, that's, that'll, that'll run this church into the ground if that's the case. The greatest sign of, of more vibrant spiritual health here is that you, more of you, and those of you who are doing it more deeply, you will be investing in other people's lives. You will be speaking the truth of God's healing, restoring, renewing word into the brokenness of others' lives by faith. This is what Ephesians chapter 4.12 sets out as the job of pastors and elders and teachers to equip God's people for the works of service. Not to do it all ourselves, but to say, 
As I'm doing it, watch, come alongside, because you need to do this too. It's sort of an apprentice. That's, that's how Jesus invested in his disciples, right? Sort of an apprentice model. That paints a picture of rich biblical community that's rooted in gospel grace and overflowing to one another. That's at the root of our vision as a church. Four years ago, we set aside a portion of our um, 2014 vision campaign to uh, help us bring on board a pastor of discipleship. I am thrilled to tell you this morning that uh, we believe God has answered that prayer. On Thursday night, Steve Sage, a pastor in the Detroit uh, suburbs, called me back and accepted our invitation to join our staff as our new pastor of discipleship. We praise God. We give thanks for uh, the, the fruit of so much work on so many of your uh, parts in helping us in this. That, that was rich biblical community at work in getting to that. Um, not a, well, it is a finish line in a sense, but it'll be a new beginning. Um, and from the very beginning, months before he even shows up on the ground, let me say this. We're not hiring Steve to do discipleship for us. We're hiring Steve to be a, a leader in helping to come alongside every leader of every ministry to catalyze, to stimulate, incorporating more and more discipleship elements into whatever ministry you happen to be doing, whether it's Oikos lunch after the service, or children's, youth, men's, women's, celebrate recovery. Everything needs to be about Jesus' final commands to his people, making disciples. As you can imagine, um, moving his family and transitioning from his current church is going to take a lot of prayer and a lot of effort, so please join us in praying for Steve Sage, uh, and we'll share details as that transition unfolds. March 18th is coming. And as it approaches, some things will change. Most things will just continue in the best sense of that idea. We will continue to build biblical community that overflows our God-designed, God-spirit stimulated gospel culture from our roots with the intention of reaching the least and the lost wherever they are by making disciples and reproducing them to do the same. This is how God is enabling us to turn vision into reality. And the irony is, how do we pursue that vision? Through the same ideals that were hoping God creates. There's a chicken and the egg. We want this to be the case. How do we work to make this the case? Biblical community, gospel culture, reaching the least and the lost, making disciples. Each cycle we trust in obedience, seeing God do more and more healing, renewing, restoring in and through us. Moving into 21 Harristown Road is going to be a major milestone that will always exist on the um, timeline of Grace Redeemers developing history. But our commitment to pursuing this biblical vision is what will give the pulse to that space so that it throbs with Holy Spirit power in and through us. 
because the people of God are being and speaking Jesus into the darkness of the world. Let's pray toward those ends. Lord, you've done this. We celebrate what you've done. We look around and see each other and our developing grace stories, and we say, this is what you have done, Lord. And we praise you, and we, we um, eagerly ask for more of the same. We ask for a hundredfold crop, not just a thirtyfold. We ask, Lord, that you would do um, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So in your abundance of power and wisdom and love, Lord, lead us on that Jesus would be glorified, that we, your people, might be built up. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.